Welcome to Radius. Um, we, we're going through the book of John, so for some of y'all that really like stuff to happen exactly in order, I'm going to stress you out for a couple weeks, so just, just bear with me. We're going to go a little out of order. We're going to bounce around in John for about four weeks, five weeks, and then we're going to drop in kind of where we left off in chapter 6, and we're going to go through these statements in there. Some of y'all that may have grown up in church, you may have heard of these before, they're the I Am Statements. Where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says a variety of things. He says, I'm the resurrection of life. We're going to roll through the, all those together. So it'll, it'll help us kind of cruise through the middle. But for the next four or five Sundays, uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. This particular passage is, uh, is oh, for some reason, heavy on me, Lord. So I pray that I deliver it in a way that honors you and that makes sense. But more importantly, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would communicate to us, both as a body and as individuals, that you'd, you'd speak into us and uh, move us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was uh, reading through my notes this morning. A story came to mind. It's different. I'm share it with you. When I was about uh, 19, I guess. I was in college, and I went to this little primarily college kids' church, had some families in it. On Wednesday nights, they had this, uh, they had this like, singing and, and prayer night, and, and they met in the basement, kind of like us. So they rented a facility on Sunday, and, and one of the leaders of the church had this big basement, and everybody rallied up in the basement, and uh, we pray and sing and so forth. It was, it was fun. I particularly liked it because there were several good-looking young ladies that went to that church, so that got me motivated. As a matter of fact, that church blessed me deeply, the young lady that is now my wife. Uh, I met there. matter of fact, I think she primarily swayed me to go to that church. I don't really think it was the Holy Spirit. It was that one young lady. Maybe the Holy Spirit inside of her was drawing me. But we had a blast. It was always fun. I always had food. And, and one night, we, we, we sang a couple songs, and one of the leaders came up on stage, and, and he had tears coming down his eyes. And... It was just different. I hadn't really seen many tears in church. And, and uh, he began to go into this, this monologue that uh, rocked me. He said that uh, he named a guy from our church. And uh, he said, we've been working with, you name him. And uh, he just won't change. He was a member there. And... Uh, with tears, this guy goes through this process of saying, we're going to ask you as a body to distance yourself from this one guy. I'm 19. I'm going, what? I mean, what, what's going on? And, and uh, it's this, this it's like a funeral where ask the body, and it's a word, that, this church word, to excommunicate this one member. As the guy explained it, I could tell that the guy uh, talking had a great heart, that he, he loved this young guy. As a matter of fact, he seemed to have a really good relationship with him. And he said that we were going to do this in hopes that we could restore him, not the fellowship with us, though that would be great, but the fellowship with Jesus. So I sat there as a young man, just, I don't know how you would, how you feel, even as I tell you the story, but just really conflicted inside. Like I felt deep compassion for this guy uh, who, was in, who was in trouble, clearly. And I felt, I felt, uh, I felt 
even sympathy for the guy communicating because it was clear that he was emotional about it. And I, I just did not know what to do with that situation. What do you do with that? When uh, Dabo or Coach Muschamp, they dismiss a player for disciplinary reasons, a lot of us would be like, finally, somebody will like hold the line and say, but this was in the church. I mean, what's up with that? What do we do with that? Brings me to this story that I want to read to you out of the Bible uh, that I hope brings light to uh, this life with Christ that is, is, uh, is wonderful, but not without complication. It's uh, John chapter 8. It's a section of the Bible that is very interesting. It's, it's, it's only 11 verses. It catches one verse out of the end of chapter 7. It's a quick story. And if you have the NLT, it has a line at the top of it and a line at the bottom. If you got an NIV, it probably has some brackets on it. If you, uh, uh, depending on what translation, it'll, it'll actually show you this passage. It'll separate it out. And if you're a, a theologian, then you might get all jacked up about this discussion. And uh, you can, you, Pete, probably re, Pete probably really enjoy explaining this to you. So I'll push that on for Pete. I'm going to leave. And uh, uh, if, you, if you like love listening to podcasts, you can listen to John Piper and look up this passage. And he put me to sleep the other night. I will say 25. I, I couldn't sleep the other night. I listened to this and he explained it. But there's, there's, there's some question about how this fit into the whole manuscript. I'm not going to go into it all, but just so you know, just so you know. Pretty much everybody agrees true story and there's this discussion about it being a Bible. So it's a pretty curious little passage. You've probably heard it before if you've been in church much. Uh, I want to read it to you. End of chapter 7. Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. <laughs> just, just normal Bible. We're just moving along. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he went back again to the temple. And the crowd soon gathered and he sat down to teach them. Anytime Jesus showed up, it's like when the newest and greatest TV shows on, everybody like tries to get there to see it on time so the people at work won't spoil it for them the next day, all right? It's, it, anytime Jesus shows up, everybody wants to get around him. So the crowd is just starting to come. He was speaking to the teachers of the religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Religious folks love making spectacles. So they got this. I can imagine having her by the arm and dragging her in among the people and throwing her on the ground. And her sitting there in her shame as they gloated. It's a pretty ugly sight. Doesn't look like anything like that room I was in when I was a kid. It's this, this sight where these grown men have this woman they call in the act. So you, you, you would almost have to assume they set her up. Like it was a setup, and they caught her, and now they're humiliating her. And where's the dude, right? Because it takes two. Where's he at? Was he just quick, slip on his boxes and run away? I don't know what happened, but, but somehow he got away, or they knew who he was, and he was a part of the trap, or, or who knows. It had nothing to do with this lady. All they wanted to do was get, a, get at Jesus. And so they bring her, they throw her on the ground in front of Jesus, and all the religious folks are circled up, and you can feel it. Makes me want to fight. And teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman who was caught in an act of adultery, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? So the way things worked in that culture, as they looked at the law of Moses, someone caught in adultery, you literally, a group of people would pick up stones and not toss them at her, but zing them at the offender, male or female, with all they got. And it wasn't like you could run away, Right? 
They would, they would hold you wherever you were. They would tie you. There's a variety of ways. Some of them pretty gruesome I won't go into. But, but somebody caught in sin, this is how they kept people from sinning. You got the chance of somebody picking up a rock and throwing it at you. So they asked Jesus, what do you say? Check it out. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could hold against him. Anything they could play against him, they wanted to. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote into the dust with his finger. So I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to be strong, I stand up tall. And sometimes we stand up and pull our shoulders back because we're trying to cover up weakness, right? So you want to be as big and as loud as you can be. I got my voice goes lower. I want to sound big. I'd rather you, if we're going to fight, I'd rather you not see me. I want you to I sound bigger than I am. So I want you, I want to give you everything I got. And you can imagine the Pharisees and the religious leaders around this lady standing up tall, really accusing Jesus as much as they're accusing her. In this beautiful scene, Jesus stoops down, right? He stoops down. I got him going down like this in my mind. He might have gone down on both knees. I don't know. It's stupid down. He might have gone down like this. I don't know. I, I know he didn't do this if he was my age, right? <laughs> Help me up, baby. No, I'm just teasing up. <laughs> I just had this picture of him stooping down in real power. Other guys are projecting. He ain't got nothing to project. He knows who he is. He's the son of God. He stoops down in front of him. And I always got a little smile on his face in my mind, him looking up at them in utter confidence. What are we going to do with this guy? And sometimes you stoop down like this because it looks like a posture of weakness. It just shows how strong you are. The lady's down, right? She's on the ground in my mind at least. And he stoops down and he writes in the dust. What in the heck does he write? And the only time I can think of writing in the dust is when we're playing ball in the backyard, right? <laughs> Go left when you get to the tree. And we draw it up in the front of this. He stoops down and he writes in the dust. And it seems to make these guys nervous when he writes. And so they, it almost seems as if their volume, you know, when people get nervous, they start getting louder. And especially for the guys in the room, you know what I'm talking about. When you're, you're frustrated and you're trying to be strong, a lot of times we get louder and we start, start talking faster to try to, be, try to promote ourselves in some way. And you can feel that. These guys are looking at Jesus and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. I can imagine standing up because he's going to say something. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Imagine walking around on the front with the Pharisees. Here, 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 you throw it. Because you ain't sinned, have you? And, 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 and no, you won't throw it. And he walks around, he offers them the stone. You can feel it. Sometimes we just read it, but here they are, and here he is, and he's got a stone. He's saying, Let, who's going to throw the first stone? It's interesting, uh, I don't know, I've read this a bunch, but he stoops down again. And here's where I really get curious to what is he writing. He stoops down and he writes in the dust again. I, I wonder if the first time he, maybe he wrote a little scripture and, and they're reading it and they're feeling the pressure. And so they, they're getting louder. And the second time he finishes it. I'm like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you read something it hurt. I wonder something, if, if maybe he bent down and he wrote down a couple of their sins in the ground. And... Uh, the second time he elaborated 
<laughs> and they're like, this is not good, boys. We're going to have to get out of here. Or, or this is our almighty God, right? He made a man out of dust. He made Adam out of dust. He stoops down, puts the finger in the dust, and you can imagine all the Pharisees in a circle. That could have been a picture of their sin. It could have been that dude's mistress. Be like, oh, uh, uh, let me get that out of here. Or, or it could have been that dude's bank account and the money he embezzled. Or it could have been, you name it. Could have been right there in front of him. You can feel this thing's escalating. And it's, it's, what I love this, in the past is very, very simple, but I love the way it works. And it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. It's funny how people get the chest up big and strong and, and they start getting loud. But when some, they meet their match, often they roll rather quickly. And I, I love in the passage it says, and they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Now, that may have just been the way things work culturally, or maybe the oldest were just the smartest, right? Because you get older, you get wiser, and that second picture comes up, and they're like, let's just play up. <laughs> let's, just, let's just play up and play this safe, and let me get on out of here. And, and the older guys leave, and then the younger guys leave. Younger guys always want to keep fighting. I don't know what it is with y'all. I used to be in your category. But um, older guys are like, we're going to get our tails kicked, and they figure it out, and they walk. And then there's this beautiful uh, line. I hope at this point in the story, you've related with both groups of people. Because uh, I would imagine everybody in the room has been in both positions. Many of you will relate a lot more with the woman who's been tossed in front of these people, and you've had moments like that. Some of them where you were totally falsely accused, and some of them where you may have screwed up, but folks held you low. You can feel it. And even reading this story, you're like, crud, is he going to read that story? Because that hurts as you relate to this lady. And Jesus has this uh, beautiful line. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it as if he's on his knee and you're on the ground. He looks her in the eyes and he says, where are your accusers? I love this. This is almighty God. Where are your accusers? With a little twinkle in his eye. They're all gone. Didn't even one of them condemn you? She has a simple answer, and it's the answer uh, you should have today. No, Lord. Not only does she say no, answer the question correctly, but then she puts him in his proper place. Obviously, the lights are coming on in her head as she accepts the grace of God in a moment where she was guilty. Let's not get confused here. In the moment where she was guilty, though, though treated poorly, she was guilty. She, she acknowledges and then calls him Lord. It's beautiful. And Jesus has a great line in him. Neither do I. I don't stand as your accuser either. Go, don't miss the end, and sin no more. What are we going to do with this story? Right? So, so for those of y'all that really want to get into the parentheses, you may... May question this story a little bit, but we can support it with the whole of the Bible. This idea that the God of the Bible is gracious. It makes us somewhat uncomfortable. Like, he's so gracious, it makes you squirmy a little bit. I mean, when we need the grace, we love it. But sometimes you're like, how could he be gracious toward that? It's confusing. C.S. Lewis, they say he's a great scholar. He walks into the room. He'd be the smartest guy in the room often. And uh, he was an atheist, and he came to Christ by really trying to disprove the resurrection. And he comes into a room full of scholars, and the scholars are debating what makes Christianity different than all the other religions. 
And so the debates rage, and obviously the resurrection's in there. You got this, the virgin birth. Actually, a couple other religions capture something similar to that. So they're all debating, having fun for those type of folks. We got any folks like that? Okay, we don't have any. But anyway, they're in the room, and they're having fun. C.S. Lewis walks into the room, and uh, he hears, overhears the conversation. He goes, that's, that's an easy answer. <laughs> I love when people do stuff like that. He goes, grace. No other religion in the world has any concept like grace. The Buddhists have their eightfold path that you strive to succeed at. The Hindus have their doctrine of karma. The Jews have the covenant. The Muslims have a code of law. Sometimes the Southern Baptists have some saying about drinking, smoking, or dating somebody who does, or something like that. I can't remember. I think it's chew and you. I can't remember how that thing goes. Uh, so picking on Southern Baptists, no particular denomination to pick on, but, but oftentimes we actually grab this attitude of grace, but then we want to go back to this thing and, and perform for God, and we, we just get confused on this thing where this, this one thing that makes us unique and special is the reality that God loves me unconditionally. He gives me this favor, this the unmerited favor, something I didn't do anything for. He just gave it to me. Now, it cost him. It was a gift to me, but it cost him everything. He sacrificed his son on the cross. His son, God the Son, he died on the cross. He, he was separated from the Father. We've talked about all this so that I could have unmerited favor given to me freely by the Father. So that I could stand before him completely free of judgment. Well, if that don't make you want to worship a little bit, you might want to study it a little bit more. Remember my 20s, I needed to get this. And so the Lord, uh, he taught me in a number of ways. I can remember just these key moments where I started to understand the level of God's grace. I, you can't understand it. It's way up here. But just I started to grow in my understanding of this unconditional love that he has for me. It started in college where, where it would make me want to worship, make me want to sing. It even caused some emotion in me. In our 20s, Cheryl and I read this book called uh, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And for both of us coming from a pretty conservative, a little bit uh, uh, struggle with that idea. And we, we like throwing stones kind of as a sport, as, as, as a group. But we read that book and it really just set us free. And uh, I we, there was a freedom about us, Cheryl and I. Like As we read this book, we enjoyed one another as we recognized the grace that God offered us and caused us to worship. There's a moment I can remember holding Isaiah, my oldest, just a baby. I was new at this, not very good, and patting his back. And he's leaning on my shoulder. And I thought, man, there, I, I don't know how to unconditionally love, but this guy be something like it. Because I see no flaw in this rascal. I, I, I see no flaw, and no matter what happens, I'm not leaving him. Help me understand the love that a father has for a son or a daughter it's deep and it's the affections are are unbelievable so i hope that you feel that as i read this story i was reading in that book as just a review and uh, he threw out the stat and when i read it the first time god was working on me so much about 
about how gracious he was. I'm sure I just ran right by it. And this time I read it where I'm at now in life, and it struck me really funny. He said, out of 100,000 people in the United States of, of America, 519 are incarcerated. I'm sure we have a few in our room. That's, that's how this room works. 519 out of 100,000. So that's a half of a percent. It's a lot. In Japan, only 37 out of 100,000 are incarcerated. And the writer began to explain why. And he was arguing that the United States was better. And I'm like, let's go to Japan. <laughs> There's nothing. What's going on? There's, he said in Japan, if you go to jail, your family will never visit you. You are there alone and by yourself. And when you come out, they completely shun you. Right? And so when you come out, your wife might hand you your stuff and your child might hand you your stuff and you're cut, you're cut out of the family. So guess what? Nobody goes to jail because they don't want to be cut out of their, their family. But in the United States, but we got lines of people ready to meet people who've been incarcerated. And so he was arguing that this is the, look what grace has done. And I'm going, I don't know, man. I'm going, I don't like what Japan's got because that sounds harsh. But I don't like what we got because that sounds like, it almost sounds like uh, the abuse of grace. Like we... Don't hold people to enough of account. So what, what is it? We, uh, we, we do a little group, uh, Pete's in it, and we, we get, get a few people together, and we, we talk about, we call it sermon prep. So a little group sits around a table, and they read this passage, and, and I write down some notes. And one of the ladies in the group this week, she said, I have a first stone. And I'm like, a what? A first stone reading this passage. And she read this one little uh, verse. She says, all right. But let the one who has sinned, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. She said, I grew up in a place, a church that liked to throw stones and it became a part of me and it's just who I was. And when I wanted to stop that habit, I went out in the yard and I picked up a stone and I wrote on it, first stone. And see, I set it in my house so I just keep looking at it so that I won't be one of those people that destroy people with ungrace. I wanted to break that habit. It was beautiful hearing her tell the story and her testimony. And, and for some of y'all that come from that, that side of the deal, listen, we got some stones at the back of the building today. No lie. I got them back. They look just like this. You can pick one up. You want to write first stone on it? Write it. Set it somewhere where you can see it. And keep yourself from throwing in arrogance something at somebody else. Some of us are the passive, aggressive stone throwers. You got any, any, anybody in your life like that? You ever seen that show uh, about Raymond? What, what they call that show? Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. A while ago, I said, leave it to Raymond. Because I mixed up leave it to Beaver and Raymond. Up. Anyway, um, shows my age. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond, and Raymond's mom is a trip. Like, she's the star of the show. She just passed away recently. She got this passive-aggressive way of hitting her daughter-in-law upside the head with stones all the time. But, but she, she kind of acts like she's not, but she is, right? She's constantly on her and holding this standard that is just, it's actually, it's funny because it's an exaggeration of a lot of our families, but it's ugly, isn't it, when we watch it? It's destructive. She undermines the things she loves the most. Some of us are virtual stone throwers. So maybe you want to pick up a stone on the way out and set it beside your computer, right? Because some people only throw stones virtually. You know why? 
Because they're cowards. That's why. Because they're really strong when they type right here. But they get up off the... They can't, they, they, they can't talk when they look in you in the eye, right? Because it's, you just feel really powerful behind a text. But so, so you, you cock that thing way back and chunk it across the room. But the real person shows up in your world. You're like, all right, all right, all right. yeah. So maybe you want to you put it on the keyboard if you want. I mean, whatever keeps you from it. Because as a, as a nation, our church has become really good at throwing stones through the keyboard. We got some bless your heart stone throwers in the South, don't we? I don't know how that exactly works, but they'll be talking and eventually they'll get, get a little breathy. You got to get a little breathy if you're a bless you. I can't even do it. I wanted to do it. Uh, bless you, I mean, it almost feels like they're saying something nice to you, but really they're throwing you under the bus. And truthfully, they're not saying it to you. They're saying it to somebody else about you. What we call that? We call that gossip. It's like one of the ugliest things we can do. But it's seductive. It comes out of nowhere. You kind of have a beat. You got your stone. You got your first stone right there where you can see it on your dinner table. And it's just seductive. It comes in and we want to. We really want to talk about somebody. I think because it elevates ourselves. And so we, we might not fully feel like we're cocking and throwing. But there's this, just this deep desire to elevate ourselves. And so we hurt others. This guy came into my office. I was working at a little Bible college when I was young. I think I was 24. So not to throw the ladies under the bus on this one, this guy comes in to talk about the administration of the college I was at, and he's just going off. It's like the most energy I've ever seen. Have you ever noticed that about people that talk about other people? The most energetic they ever get is when they're talking about somebody else. You're like, bro, is anything good going on? Are you just a loser? Or, I mean, well, is there nothing good to talk about in your life? So he's talking, he's going on, I'm like, I just don't do this. He's like, you don't do what? I just don't talk about people. Guess what happened? He never came back. Nobody else did either. You know why? Because word gets on the street for people that talk. They talk to each other like he doesn't listen to this. So now I'm sure I got talked about, but at least I could get some work done. <laughs> right? so, and leave me alone. It was just, it was a great moment of strength. So let me give you permission as a follower of Jesus. Somebody brings gossip to you, shut it down. Don't do it in arrogance like you ain't never done it. I don't never do that. Just tell them, I don't do this. This isn't what, what I do. If you want to tell them you're an embarrassment, the radius white, no, you can say that on my behalf. But just don't do it. It's, it undermines all the good that's going on when God's actually changing lives and you're running people down. It makes no sense. Everybody looks in at us and they're like, well, that's the same old, same old. It's embarrassing. But we all do it. So you're all welcome to grab one of these. At some level or other, our hearts tend to want to lift ourselves up but as we lift ourselves up, guess who drops? The God of the universe. And that energy that we have for talking about other people just never makes its way into our worship. Because we've already done our due diligence this week. But let me say something. As I was reading this, and I was thinking about teaching about the grace of God and this stone, this first stone, it reminded me of a story in the Old Testament. It's about a young boy. Boys in the room, you love this story. It's about a young boy who went to the king, and he was really irritated with a giant. He was irritated with the giant because the giant kept on saying that God was worthless. The God of the Jews was worthless. So he's irritated, and everybody else was cowering before this monster of a man, Goliath. You know the story if you've been in church at all. And, and he goes down to a brook, and what does he do? He picks up five of these, 
if they were this size, that joker hurt like a mug. <laughs> but uh, he picks up five smooth stones up out, of the, up out of the brook, and he puts them in his shepherd's pouch. It would have been hard to run with five of these rascals, but you can feel them clanking as he runs out to face the giant. And he loads one up into his sling. They didn't do it like this. They didn't have none of our high-tech slings back in the day, but they were deadly, and they were accurate, and they would swing it. And you can imagine young David, the future king of Israel, Facing off a giant that I can give you the stats on, he would have been first taken in the draft this weekend, I can promise you. But he's slinging this thing, and all of a sudden, that one stone got launched. And as that joker soared through the air, I want to see it on slow-mo. You wonder, like, did Goliath's eyes cross as that joker closed in on him? I'm not sure. I imagine it caught him or else he would have ducked. But that joker, it actually, it seems to indicate that it was stuck in his head. I'm talking about, that's good movies right there. It's stuck in his head and the big rascal falls down on his face. And then David runs up. Young guys in the room, you're going to love this. He pulls out Goliath's sword because he only have a sword. And he, well, he... We, yeah, he cuts his head off. He cuts his head off and holds it up. I can imagine David going, God, that's a heavy head. Pulls that joker up, and then the battle was on in Israel. There is a time to launch a stone. Sometimes in the church, we allow that pendulum to, sp- to swing. And so we never want to throw a stone at somebody else in their weakness. But, but let, let me explain something. For some reason, we've got to this point in the church where we'll never throw a stone at all. Like, like if uh, there's never a moment where you can make a just judgment because that seems like that would be wrong. And so you never really say anything. As, as in reality, we end up being a room full of cowards that don't believe anything because it never comes out of our mouth. So we spend a lot of time in this book. We say that... We've had time with God, but for some reason, we would all agree, those of you that know Jesus, that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, the mediator. There's only one way. So you know what you're saying? You're saying that everybody else in the world is lost. You just threw a stone. You didn't throw a stone of of arrogance and judgment. You threw a stone of battle like we got to go tell somebody. We got the good news within us and we ain't told anybody because we're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings. You're trying to save their souls. This is this thing. It ought to, grace is not only something that keeps us from hurting people in our circle, but it gives energy to us so we can take good news. To people. Sometimes we'll actually see a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, somebody that we love, and they're in the ditch and they're going down a road of destruction, but you don't want to judge them, so you just let them. What? Like, you're going to let them crash and burn and lose everything they got because you didn't want to tell them? What? That's not what this is about. This is about coming to a brother or sister, not in judgment, not in arrogance, but coming to them as a fellow failure, as a fellow sinner, as somebody who needed to be saved and, and who 10 days from now might be in the same spot as they do. But because I love them, I go to rescue them. I try to save them from the impending danger that is coming along their life because they're giving in to sin. I'm going to tell you something about race right now. If you're new, this is like the safest church I've ever been a part of. It's a place, I cannot tell you how many people tell me they come here and they just feel like they're not judged. You're not I got to tell you something. I pound my chest on that. That makes me proud. 
makes me proud of you, makes me proud of me, makes me proud of what Jesus has done inside of us. People keep, keep telling me, somebody told me this week, I can't, just told me how they constantly come here and they feel like they belong. Because we're a group of sinners that choose to gather together and celebrate that we've been set free by, from our sin by the gracious God of the Bible. But let me just say something. That does not mean that we allow one another to go in the ditch. That means we run to one another. When we're falling off the track, you know somebody. I might not know the story, but somebody's going in the ditch. Go grab them by the arm and have a conversation. That's what happened that night in that basement. It might have felt really awkward to you because you've seen some abuse in the church. But somebody had gone to that dude and grabbed him by the arm and tried to rescue him, and he rejected it. <laughs> said, I like the way I live. So then that same person came back with a few friends because they were desperate to keep them out of the ditch. And so they talked to him and they rejected it. And so at the end of the day for that church and the way they were, they were going to roll, they wanted to take one last ditch effort at saving him from wrecking his life. And it doesn't feel gracious, but in some ways it's motivated by grace and it's stronger than a lot of the passive stuff we do. So we got this first stone. And uh, for some of us, we ought to take it. And Like I said, you might want to throw it at your computer screen someday. I don't know. You might just, I mean, I might. But just to get us to hush. You know what? I, I've gotten a few communications in the last day. So I, let, me, let me not say that nothing should be written. Don't, don't hear that. I actually got a, an email this week that was, that was done with humility and it was done as a part of a conversation and it was it was refreshing right it was a question it was making a judgment on some stuff that's going on in our world and it was it was refreshing because those people are godly and they're humble i knew where they were coming from and it, it, so there's a place to have these discussions about things that are going on in the world there's all kind of craziness going on right so we got all kind of this gender stuff is off the chain and we got to stand somewhere on it. And so, but, but what we don't do is we don't stand up here and chunk it as hard as we can at somebody because we think that we got it all together. Instead, we come at it in a gracious manner. And uh, on the flip side, some of y'all need to put this like where the drink goes in your car so you can't put any coffee in it until you, you think again about carrying this stone in your pocket like David and giving a good word to somebody this week. Good word about Jesus. A great starting point is, I, well, a lot of times lately is a good move that I do with my friends that don't know Jesus. I say, I'm praying for you because I am. You can't say it if you're not. So don't just say, hey, bro, I'm praying for you. Well, you need to pray for him first. But I'm praying, man, I've been praying for him. A lot of times I'll say, I pray for you every day. <laughs> it gets kind of awkward then. But it opens, up, it opens up this door for conversation because I want them to be set free. I'll, I'll go to battle. I'll risk my life to set them free with this first stone. You feel the difference? Am I making sense? I hope so. I'll read you one last passage. It's Romans chapter 12. <laughs> we'll end on a heavy note. <laughs> so, and it is heavy. It's Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a passage that deals with a lot of stuff going on in our world right now. And let me just say, Paul makes a clear judgment. He makes no apology for it. He actually, he actually addresses directly homosexuality right here in this passage romans chapter one he says very clearly that it's sin okay so there's no way around it i mean people trying to get around it there's no way around it. but let me let me just be really clear a couple verses later he puts gossip in the same category 
So just in case you had this thing cocked, woo, Romans 1, let me, let me memorize that. Memorize the whole thing. All right, memorize the whole thing. Check out chapter 2. I've always kind of got chapter 1, and I try to teach it the way chapter 2 actually explains it. Check out chapter 2. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses. You may think you condemn such people, speaking of all those folks in the past chapter, but you're just as bad. Appreciate it, preacher. Send me out the door feeling great about myself. And you have no excuse, exclamation point. And when you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, you, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from sin? Wow. There's this uh, extremely healthy tension that we need to feel pretty much every Sunday here, that this gracious God that we love, that there is no way I can earn any better relationship with him. I wrote it down this this week. Grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. What? There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. His death, Christ's death on the cross, made me fully accepted, and there's nothing I can do. I, no matter how well I perform, if I kiss Cheryl every night and pray over every night and do the dishes all week, it doesn't make God look, look at me any different. Cheryl looks at me different. But God does not look at me any different. There's this, there's this unconditional love. But what I love about it is, let's repeat the statement. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love me any less. So if I crash and burn this week, there is no way for me to move on the scale of the unconditional love of the Father. So as believers, we got to walk through this world in tension there. So, so when we read a passage like that and we are equated with the sins that we love to target, there's this humility that's got to come deep in our souls because I was saved by that just like anybody's saved like that. So everybody in the room ought to feel like the lady. And when we come to worship, we ought to worship like we've been completely set free. And when we go out into this world, we ought to carry that with us, this deep grace for our neighbor. Make sense? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I love you. The subject is heavy because uh, for some, uh, <laughs> it's just confusing. <laughs> for all of us, it's over our head because it doesn't come... Uh, it doesn't come natural to us to give grace. We're so much better at standing in judgment on others. At the same time, Lord, we live in this world full of confusion, and we see stuff that used to be obvious. We've seen our nation lose its mind. And so, Lord, it's complicated for us to know what to do, how to, how to love folks, and at the same time make a stand for what your word says. Teach us through your spirit. 
Show us how to use this stone. For some in the room, Lord, help us to leave that. I mean, just to never pick it up in regard to the folks around us. Instead, make us great at loving and accepting and caring for. On the flip side, for some of us, Lord, there's this, there's this fear that somebody might not like me or I might cross a line or by making a statement uh, based on your word that I, I might offend somebody and I, 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 never say, I never say anything. I end up cowering under pressure. Lord, by your spirit, guide us. I love the way there's a group of folks here, especially some of our folks that have a few years on them, that they know how to do that. They, they know how to talk about crazy issues and do it with humility. Help, help some of the rest of us grab that well. Some of them are able to do that in intellectual ways and others in just caring ways. And I appreciate that. I want to be like that. But we all want to be like you, Jesus. And we want to handle ourselves with great grace toward our community. And yet, Lord, in that grace, we want them to know that there's a power about us, that there's this submission to you and your will that we will not leave, that we'll literally die for. So if they, they force on us at some point, some of this chaos is going on, well, we'll stand and I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'll die to your glory uh, when the time comes because of your grace. Show us the way, Lord. We need help. Amen.